Hello and welcome back to the Bi-Week Podcast. I'm Blake Shield alongside Cole Roberts and we're so excited to be back. It's been a big break but the regular season is now over and we're hyped to talk about some football. Unfortunately, we had some contract issues with our third host, Quinn <laughs> Kyle, and he will no longer be on the show, at least for now. But the Duo Podcast will keep going on. We're ushering in a new era, episode 25, but you could call this episode one of the new Bi-Week Podcast. Excited to get it going, man. We, we're going to miss Quinn, but like, I feel like this could be a new era for the podcast, and we're this is going to be good stuff. Yeah, I agree. Well, the fans want us to get right into it, so we're going to do that. Today, we're going to be talking about... First, we're going to look at a college football recap, the championship game. We're going to talk about some prospects, the overall game, what we thought was good and bad about each team. And then we're going to go into... Um, Oh, we're going to go into what teams overachieved the most and what teams underachieved the most because the regular season just ended. It's a good time to judge teams and how they performed compared to where they were looked at before the season started. And then after that, we're going to give you guys our honest Super Wild Card Weekend takes. What games are going to be good? Who's going to win each game? And we're going to talk about them a little bit. Let's get right into it. Cole, let's talk about the College Football Championship recap. UW versus Michigan. Yeah, I thought it was actually a great game. I know, and I know it like ended up being a blowout in the end, but people don't give enough credit to the fact that UW really put together a great effort there, especially in the first half. I mean, you looked at them; they looked like they were down and out. Two huge runs from Donovan Edwards. They were down fourteen points, then they get a three, and then it gets pushed all the way to a fourteen-point difference in the game. But then they're able to make a one-score game going into half. Like I, I was impressed with their resilience in the first half. But then a, a pick on the very first play in the second half when you're going down to tie up the game, that just, I feel like from that point, it wasn't looking great. So I, I feel like the first half of that game is being extremely underrated. And mm-hmm. second half, Penix was injured. I mean, he was barely able to throw the ball and you know they were just down and out. But if you really look at that first half especially, it was actually a great game. Just it got out of hand towards the end. Look, I'll tell you, I think it was a pretty good game the entire way through. You look at the score, 34-13, you think to yourself, wow, kind of a blowout, not that not that great of a game. But really, it was it was neck and neck most of the game. There was never a time where I thought UW was completely out until maybe the last two minutes. It was always, you know, a one-score game, and then it was a two-score game, but it seemed like a close two-score game, you know? Like, especially with UW's offense, you can kind of get right back into the game. So, saw a lot of people comparing it to, oh, not another one of these TCU-Georgia games. I thought it was nothing like that at all. I mean, the score doesn't look great, but it really was somewhat of an evenly match. I think uh, the biggest thing for Michigan was the trenches. The trenches win football games, and those Michigan guys, both on the offensive line and defensive line, just outmatched UW, and it showed, especially in the run game. Like you said, Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum could easily take over. And on the other side of the ball, Penix didn't have time to release it to his three special receivers, I'll call them. And so it, it, it didn't really work out. Yeah. Cool. How do you feel about how Penix played? I I feel like he actually I just think the moment was a little too big for him. I still am a big believer that he's going to be a great NFL quarterback in that he should be a first round pick. And if anything, I think that whatever team gets him now is going to be getting him at a bargain because I'd say that his his draft stock was at an all time high after that Texas game. And I feel like a lot of teams are maybe going to sink on him a bit because of this last game. But I feel like now if he if he even slips to the late first round. A team could be getting a really good pick. I look at like the Seahawks maybe taking him, mm-hmm. give him a year behind Geno. That would be a great place to develop, 
stay in Seattle, a city he knows, city he loves. So I, I'm starting to look at like the draft even just from this game. And another guy is J.J. McCarthy. He's a guy who is touted as being like a first-round pick, surefire. A lot of people around him, top 10 even. I, I don't think he should be a first-round pick. He completed 10 passes in the game. That's not a great game. He His completion percentage was in the 60s. He just had a very poor game and quite frankly got bailed out by his run game. So fine, he didn't need to do anything spectacular. But for a national championship winning QB, I wasn't impressed. He didn't He didn't stand out to me. Me neither in any way. All season, Michigan is lean on the run game and it's won them games. But for people to think that JJ McCarthy is the one that should get all the credit, it's not true at all. I was looking at the stats earlier today. Most of his games are like 175 yards and a touchdown. None of these big games like Penix had. And the one thing I'll say about Penix is that it it sucks because he came off such an all-time high, like you said, against Texas. Everybody was on the Penix train. And to see a lot of the things that people were questionable about Penix come to fruition in this final game is a bummer because, yes, this is going to kill his draft stock. It really will. I mean, he was thought of as, yeah, like you said, a top 10 pick. And it's possible that he slips into the second round now. I think back of C.J. Shroud last year and how he played Georgia and there was questions going into that game and he absolutely killed it and his team lost. There was no other, there was no other game to see how good CJ was before the draft. And it sounds crazy, but I almost feel like it would have been better if the defense just couldn't clutch up for UW against Texas and they lost the game and Penix went out with a bang because if you would have, if that would have been his last game, there would have been nothing to put him down. But that, that game against Michigan, a lot of things came up that draft analysts are really questionable. Yeah, and like I was saying, I just think the moment was a little too big for him in that Michigan defense. That that's not your fault when your offensive line has multiple holding calls and you know, quite frankly, the refs weren't exactly on their side. I mean, there was blatant holding on Romo Duns on multiple plays. It's mm-hmm. so like his receivers were getting held, his offensive line was like a turnstile. He was hurt during the game. Like, really, like if you look at that one game as your only college football game, you're say, Oh, he's he's not that great. But go back, watch his tape, watch the Texas game, watch him all season long. His deep ball is truly, I believe, the best in this draft class, better than Caleb Williams, better than Drake May. I mm-hmm. think he is a special player, and he's one that, though, will need a year or two to sit behind a Geno Smith-type player. I think that he still can be a great NFL QB. It's just you can't look at that game in a, in a tunnel. You have to look at his whole season, his whole career even. So... I think it's unfortunate what happened, but it, it's just the reality of how the draft goes. You see a guy struggle in a big game and you you have to question it. Yeah, and in my opinion, him the age conversation about Michael Penix doesn't bother me, honestly, at all. You think about the current state of quarterbacks. If you're good and you're talented, you can play into your mid-30s. Penix is going to be oh, into yeah. the league when he's 24. Okay, you get seven years of Penix. Is that not like, is that not seem like a good idea? I guess I'm one of those guys who's not that big on the age conversation, especially with quarterbacks, because if you're a solid quarterback, you can play until you're 33, 34. And that means Penix would still have a long career. Yeah. And especially being a quarterback that's not one of those super athletic, going to run the ball all the time. Like he's very much a pocket passer that can run, totally can run. But he's the kind of quarterback that will be able to have a long career. Like, a guy like Michael Vick was never going to have a long career because he runs, he's going to get hit, he's going to get hurt. But look at Tom Brady, look at Aaron Rodgers, look at Peyton Manning. Stafford. Like that, yeah. that style of quarterback that he is, which is just a pocket deep bomb threat, 
he he can be in the league for a long time. So I, I like what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Shall we go on to teams that overachieved and underachieved this season? Yeah, let's do it. I think that's a great idea. All right, you you start us off. Who do you have as an overachiever? I have one team that for sure overachieved in my eyes as the Texans. Mm. This thing I'll say about the Texans is all it takes is one good draft to turn your entire team around. People think it's a big rebuilding process, which it can be. But if you have a good GM who can hit on one draft, it really can spark your team. The two most important things for a good team are a good coach and a good QB. And they landed both those in the same season. And that was a recipe right there to win the AFC South. You look at D'Amico Ryan's, like what a job he has done with his team. The defense has gotten so much better from a defense that was a mockery in the last few years. So defense that's been locked down. And once you get a high-level QB, your whole team changes. And you see that with the Texans. I could have never imagined they would be this good this quickly, but that's what happens when you land on someone like CJ Stroud. And I honestly think the future of this team could be competing for a Super Bowl in the next few years. They have so many young talents. You look at Tank Dell. You look at Derek Stingley, who's really came to his own, Will Anderson. I, I'm as high as you can be on this team. This team is so fun to watch, and I, they shocked the world this year. Yeah, I totally agree. And I really liked, like like you said, um, even it's not even just the draft and not just coaching, but their free agency was super underrated. Dalton Schultz, people mm-hmm. were expecting him to have a much bigger receiving year, but he's statistically one of the best run-blocking tight ends. He had a great year as a blocker. So mm-hmm. this team as a whole, like even their free agency moves, just small things like getting a good tight end really made the difference for this team. But... uh. I went like a little different direction with uh, how I was thinking of overachieved. I went with a team that I don't think should have gotten as many wins as they did, but they just kept on winning. And that's the Steelers. I, I mean, this team, they don't have a quarterback. I mean, Mason Rudolph is your quarterback going into the playoffs. Your defense was kind of a mess outside of TJ Watt and your co- offensive coordinator gets fired and you know, you're barely able to put up over 400 yards a game. I mean, just nothing went right. Najee Harris fell off. I mean, just like what was happening? And yet they still just somehow hobbled their way to 10 wins, found themselves in the playoffs. To me, that's overachieving is taking a team that shouldn't be that good and just somehow like you push through, you win a game here, win a game there. And and they somehow pulled through. So for me, the Texans or uh, the Steelers are huge overachievers for the season. Yeah. It seems like they overachieve every year in the last few years with a mediocre roster. And I say that's culture. People underestimate, especially right now, where this era of young mastermind coaches is is becoming really popular. And a lot of them can make your team really successful. But we're starting to lose the culture coaches. I mean, you look at Mike Vrabel, now Pete Carroll. I mean, Mike Tomlin could could be fired next, Bill Pelichick. It, it's, a lot of that is just culture. And, and Mike Tomlin has found a way there where no matter the roster, he can figure out a way to get a winning record and get his team in the playoffs almost every single year. And they overachieved. I completely agree. It's like they really had nothing going for them in a super difficult division, too. And they just kept stacking games. It was never easy. It was always sloppy. But it doesn't matter in the NFL. A win is a win, and they win. A win is a win. Who do you have as an under as an underachiever? I said the Jaguars. And I know we can both talk about that one. A lot of people, including myself, thought the Jaguars could be the one seed in the AFC. That sounds crazy. I'm not saying they could have been the best team in the AFC. I'm just saying the division they were in and the schedule they had, I could have seen them get the most wins in the AFC. 
And to see them only go in with nine wins was a huge disappointment. I think the biggest thing is that Trevor Lawrence was good, but he didn't take the jump that everyone expected he was going to, especially with the receiving core. Very much elevated with Calvin Ridley. And also, I think that the coaching wasn't as good as we'd seen before. Their, their offense didn't seem stagnant at times, even with so many weapons. And th the team was just sloppy. Uh, I, I know you can touch on this more, but the, the Jaguars really disappointed me. And I think a big thing for them is still continuing to fix the O-line. Uh, they ranked 21st in pass block and 31st in run block on PFF. So I think addressing the O-line is really important, especially when you want to give Trevor Lawrence time to throw it downfield to those big targets. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I'm a diehard Jaguars fan, as you can see, but like, I, I I can list you the things that went wrong. Like, just starting with like injuries were killing us. Like, Trevor was always banged up. I felt so bad for the guy, but he had an AC joint injury and he had that ankle injury and it, it was just a rib injury. And poor guy was never able to get healthy, but he's like, he's the kind of competitor that always pushes himself, but it's not always good to just keep pushing yourself because. Just take a week off. Take two weeks off. Just get better. Uh, our offensive line dealt with a lot of injuries throughout the season. Our receiving core got decimated. Christian Kirk was out. Zay Jones missed a lot of the season. Uh, even Jamal Agnew, who's our fourth receiver and who was our main kick returner, he was out. And then, But I think the biggest issue was coaching. Our offensive coordinator, Press Taylor, is, I'd say, one of, if not the worst play caller in the league. I mean, he, he was just trying to drop these just diabolical plays at the goal line. Just you have Travis Etienne and you have a solid offensive line. Like you said, they're they're not a great offensive line, but they're solid enough. Go mm -hmm. punch the ball in at the one yard line against the Texans to save your season. Good God. And then he's running like these like trick plays where he's oh my they, gosh, the rollout. Yeah. Yeah. And throughout the season, he just mismanaged time and it was just a debacle. But the, th the good thing that came out of the Jags missing the playoffs is that Basically, our entire defensive coaching staff has all been fired. Our D coordinator, our linebackers coach, our D defensive uh, quality control coach. I mean, they were all fired. Our running backs coach got fired. Press Taylor, our offensive coordinator, is probably next. I think the Jaguars are going to be proactive this offseason because they just kind of stuck with the same team they had from last year, and that clearly didn't work. So I think they will be proactive this offseason, which is the silver lining. But yeah, just nothing seemed to go right. Great analysis saying they underachieved. Um, I mean, at, a, at a certain point, you go from a sneaky team that everybody loves to a team that needs to perform because you're at that level. And I look at the Jags this year, they needed to actually perform. They weren't the little wimpy team that everyone thought about the last few years. That was awesome when they got a win. This yeah. was a, a real competitive team. And for them to fall to only nine games in a division that's, it got better, but it's still, it's still not that difficult. No, it's not great. It's... And honestly, it was a sloppy nine wins. Like I said, it wasn't a blowout nine wins. There was there were some tough games. Oh, well, we won. We were eight and three. And then once Trevor's injury happened and just went off the rails, like we didn't know how to act. It was oh, it was bad. Yeah. And I also threw in a second team real quick. Oh, actually, cool. cool. What's your team? Oh, the team I was going to say was the Chargers. Because that's this mine is, too. So go yeah, ahead. this is such a star-studded team. I mean, you got Justin Herbert on your team, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, who had a six-sack game. Uh, you got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. I mean, you've got a great star-studded team, and it just they just stunk. They got hit with the injury bug too. You, you can't help that, right? But I mean, Brandon Staley got fired mid-season, and for good reason. They're fall falling apart last season against the Jaguars in the playoffs was historic. I mean, but when you have so much talent on a team, 
and the Chargers are not like a pushover franchise. I mean, they're historically always like a solid playoff team. You know, they haven't gotten a Super Bowl yet, but they're, they're cursed by, though, but yeah. Yeah, but they're by no means like just a pushover. And so to have so much talent and so many good players and then just kick yourself over coaching and bad management, it's just it was disappointing for Chargers fans. I can't agree more. I remember a few years ago over the offseason, it seemed like the Chargers went all in. They you know, they signed Khalil Mack, they brought back Derwin James, they got JC Jackson. It seemed like everything was coming together to make a big run, and they just haven't been able to do it year after year. And at a certain point when your roster is that good, it's coming down to coaching. And I really do think coaching can change this team. It's like watching this team, everyone just seems so frustrated and out of sync. I I, I really think that a big coaching change, change can, can turn this team around and this team could compete. And I'll tell you, every coach that's currently on the carousel wants to go to LA because to be able to work with Justin Herbert will be an honor rather than working with someone like Sam Howell or Desmond Ritter to be already at a team that's pretty much set up to make a run, just waiting for a coach. It's going to be a competitive market there. I'll tell you that. Yeah. All right. Shall we get going into our wild card recap? Just we'll say the game, do a quick little, uh, give a couple words on who we think is going to win and why, and then move on to the next game. Shall we do that? Yeah. Okay. We'll start with Browns Texans. That game, I think, is going to be a Browns win. I think they're the hotter team right now. I, I'm a believer in Flacco right now. I think they're the more complete team. And I think the Texans kind of just lucked into that spot by the Jaguars collapse and mm-hmm. the Colts literally dropping a pass. So I, I'm not a huge believer in the Texans. I'm Browns, too. I think they could really make a run. They're a very solid team. And like I said, the Texans' offense is good. But this Browns' mm-hmm. defense is something special. It really is and has been all year. I will also take the Browns, but I think it, it will, I think it could possibly be a shootout. Yeah. And then the next one I've got is uh green Bay versus Dallas. Who do you got in that? I'll take, hmm, you know, Cowboys in the playoffs. It's historically bad, but I'm going to take Dallas. I think, I think it's smart to take yeah. Dallas here. They're, they're, they're a much better team. Yeah. That this one doesn't need a whole lot of analysis, just but I will say I, I'm very impressed with Jordan love. And I think he is, yeah, very much came into player. his own, and he 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 is a future Packers quarterback, and he he can be something special. Yeah. All right. Who do you got in Rams versus Lions? Rams. I got the upset here. I think the Rams are such a solid team. These are another one of my teams that I put on my list as overachieving. Once you have a team with a great quarterback and a great coach, other stuff matters. But that's really the recipe for success. And also, how much of the hit on the draft with people like Kobe Turner? And Puka Nakua, obviously. Yeah. This team is this team could really make a run. I mean, you you they took the Ravens to overtime. I mean, every game I play, it seems like they compete, even with the best teams in the league. And the Lions are a special team, but it takes only a couple mistakes and you can find yourself losing to the Rams. Yeah. And again, I I this game is probably my hardest one of the week because I agree that I think the Rams are the better team, but this Lions team is so, so hungry. I mean, and this city is so excited. I was just in Detroit a couple weeks ago. I mean, there's Lions stuff all over the place. Those fans are so excited to have a good team. So I, and especially because it's in Detroit, an indoor field, Ford Field is going to be rocking for that game. I think don't, don't count out that home field advantage there, especially. No, I actually think the Lions are probably the better team on paper, but. But yeah, I'll take the Rams. You take the Lions. We'll see what happens there. How about the big matchup exclusively on Peacock, which is so annoying. I'm going to pirate it or something. Dolphins, Chiefs. 
Uh, I think I'm going to lean towards the Chiefs here, and not actually because I think they're the better team, but because I think the weather factor is going to play a big part. And then I think playoff football in Kansas City is such an atmosphere you can't match. So I'm going to take the Chiefs in this one. I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to take the Dolphins. I really do think that the Dolphins have been a great team, but have disappointed in the clutch. And they're they're gonna they're gonna swing it to the Chiefs this week. But I will say it's crazy how much one game can matter. The Dolphins choke against the Bills. Now they're playing the Chiefs yeah. in two degree weather at Arrowhead Stadium. The Bills sneak away from the Dolphins. They're playing the Steelers. Yeah, Imagine fun. the matchup difference. It's like people think week 18 doesn't matter. You realize how much week 18 matters when situations like this, when you can get bounced first round to one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, or you can play against Mason Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. Yeah. So with that, we should go on to the Steelers Buffalo game. Buffalo. Yes, I'm going to take Buffalo. Not much analysis needed. But I will say, I think it's funny. I think Buffalo either blows them out or they lose. (laughs) The line is minus 10 for the game. For a playoff game, it's a 10 point spread. That's crazy to me. Just knowing Josh, like it's it's either going to be a blowout, like 35 and or. Josh is going to play horrible and they're going to lose the game. I think there's no close game in this situation. I, I think the Bills will be fine, though. I think yes. Win it. Yeah. I think the Bills have they came right. out recently. Yeah. And then the last one, the Monday night game, probably going to be a lot closer than people would have expected had you looked at these teams at midseason. Eagles versus Bucks. Who do you got? I'll say it straight up. I like the Bucks here. I think, the, I think that the Eagles, the last five or six weeks, have just been disoriented. Nothing has been going right. Jalen Hurts has really not been playing well. AJ Brown is now beat up. This there's not much to say. This this team is frustrated and they're not playing good right now. And the Bucks, granted, only nine wins. They've been pretty hot. And I also think Baker is hungry. He's been disrespected. And this Bucks franchise, after Tom Brady retired, everyone expected them to just fall into the dumps. But they're they're hyped to be here. They're hyped to be back in the playoffs. And I think they have something to prove. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and on mine, for my notes for this episode, all I put was Eagles downfall. I just think that this downfall is a spiral, and I'm not impressed with the coaching. I think Sirianni is really disappointed a season after winning Coach of the Year. I think Jalen Hurts has kind of proven that he's kind of a tush-push merchant. Yes. He's really not that great of a QB. I mean, he's solid. He's totally solid, but he is nothing special is what I'd say. So. Yeah, I, I put I took the Bucks in this game. It's hard hard one to do, but I, I really do think so. Yeah, I'm excited to watch that one. I think it can be really close, yeah. and I think a lot of people are running on the Bucks, including us yeah. too. So, uh, yeah, that, that that was the episode. One thing we would like to remind all of the listeners, though, is uh, we did record a whole thing about the coaching carousel, which will be posted onto our TikTok. So make sure you're following our TikTok for more coaching carousel news. We're going to post a lot of other content there that you don't hear on the podcast. So be sure you're following over there. Yeah. And also just want to tell you guys, we're going to be back in this. We're committed. And, you know, once the season ends, we're not ending. We're so excited for the draft process. And we're going to give you prospect analysis and some of our sleeper prospects. And we're going to go through mock drafts. We're hopefully going to go to the physical draft and produce a bunch of content there. So if you think that we took a break this season and that we're going to be done in a couple weeks when the Super Bowl hits, that is nah, not true. We're going to be we're, we're better going. than ever. Yeah, we're just getting going, guys. And I know this podcast, you know, we're kind of getting back in the groove, but please stick with us. And we're so excited to be here and support us. And let's go bye week. 
yeah, and now that the contract disputes are over with Vig, uh, we're going to be able to pump these out a lot more often, and we're going to be able to do these quicker form videos. This one's only 24 minutes. Mm -hmm. I think we, we think you guys like this a lot more. So with that, signing off is Cole. And Blake. See you guys. See ya.